Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And uh, this is uh, KFI AM640. Bill Handel here and the morning crew on a uh, Monday morning, March 14th. Uh, some of the big stories, uh, what's going on with Ukraine. I'm going to cover that in just a moment. Tom Brady has unretired. And so uh, is that a new verb to unretire? Uh, I don't know. Uh, sounds, now it is. Yeah, I think he's coined it. I think it, or it has been coined for him. So he'll start his 23rd season. And then we were discussing this morning, the quarterback who has been the most number of years in the NFL. It was George Blanda. Uh, and uh, he was in for 26 years. So no one's going to meet that. But he was a second stringer his entire career. I don't think he ever was a first stringer. And uh, place kicker and uh, 26 years. And I may be wrong on that, by the way, for those of you that are uh, football fans that will say I'll never listen to the show again because, Handel, you made a mistake on that one. All right. On a much more serious note, uh, the new dangerous phase of uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, And there's a lot going on there. Uh, First and foremost, uh, Russia has 10 times or five, at least five times the number of troops to start with, than Ukraine has. It has equipment to match that. I mean, almost unlimited. Well, not necessarily, by the way, because they're running out of bombs and they're running out of hardware, which is why they've asked China to help them. That There's a geopolitical story in and of itself. But let's talk about what's going on in, Ukra- in Ukraine. Uh, first of all, the scale of the invasion uh, is far bigger than was anticipated, particularly by Putin. Putin thought this was going to be a rollover. Uh, if you remember, there were 150,000 troops that were massed at the border. He, I think he sent in 50,000 and kept everybody else outside of Ukraine um, because he, he, it really didn't matter. He was going to roll over this thing. You know, Ukraine has a limited force. Ukraine is, uh, they, they don't, wouldn't go to war. This was supposed to be a blitzkrieg war that was going to boom happen virtually immediately. Ukrainian forces, uh, maybe there would be initial fight and they would melt away. Uh, None of that happened. Ukrainians are uh, far more fervent in their defense. I mean, they have come out as international heroes in defense of their country. And I don't know what Putin was thinking, uh, not only in retrospect, but also uh, anticipating what was going to happen. What do you think happens when you have a very proud people uh, the Ukrainians were Ukrainians when Ukraine, uh, when the Ukraine was part of Russia. They would still consider themselves separate people. Different dialect, different language. They're Ukrainians. So what do you think happens when someone invades 
unprovoked. It's not as if uh, this was festering. Well, in one sense, it was festering, but not the entire country. And so the politics of this, uh, never anybody really think, maybe a few people did, but no one really thought there would be a war because of this. And we've talked about the politics of it. Why? Well, because of uh, the separatist movement in eastern Ukraine that's been around forever, Russian speaking, because they're really, those lines, like Poland, et cetera, really are arbitrary lines. The people that live close to the border on either side, Poland's border, for example, changed constantly over the last several hundred years. My grandmother was uh, born in uh, Poland, but it was part of Russia. Or maybe, I, or was it Russia and it was part of Poland? I mean, I really don't remember because it's been changed hands so many times. Same thing with my grandfather. You know, Russia, Poland, Poland, Russia. So uh, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, is that Putin thought uh, that uh, it was going to go back or he wanted to, uh, Ukraine to go back into the Russian sphere. So instead, instead, all of these countries along Ukrainian border and Russian border all turned to the West. Instead of being part of Russia's sphere of influence, they've all become part of NATO. Not Ukraine specifically, not Moldova, but they're partners. They're not members, they're partners. So they certainly lean towards the West. And here's proof in the pudding right here. Because what do you have? You have the Western world pouring equipment into Ukraine. See, that's never going to run out. The Russians are running out of hardware. Ukraine will never run out of hardware because you have the entire Western world pouring in arms. And you've got a motivated people, uh, people who are will defend their country to the last drop of blood versus the Russians who a lot of them didn't even know they were invading Ukraine. They were on these military, uh, military exercises and all of a sudden go south. Or go west. Why? What are we doing? And so you have an unmade, unmotivated people with uh, antiquated equipment. Uh, certainly Russia's equipment can't compare the Western equipment, uh, military equipment. So you have a war that is at a standstill except for the artillery. I'm going to talk in a few minutes about a no-fly zone because this has to do with aircraft. This is where Russia has superb aircraft. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But as far as the war on the ground, it's not even about troops anymore. It's not about air cover anymore. It's not about those brilliant uh, military planes. It's all about artillery and the shelling and the bombing. A few cruise missiles here or there, but it's the artillery that's pounding these residential areas and killing thousands of civilians. And Putin uh, believes that he's going to overrun the country, which he will. There's going to be a regime change, which probably will happen. He's going to take Kiev, and once Kiev is taken, that's the country right there. Uh, Zelensky will either be captured or not. Will he be put on trial? Who the hell knows? And so you'll see a pro-Russian uh, government, but it's a pro-Russian government that uh, that the Rus- the Russians will be put in, will, will put in. And the people of Ukraine will never stand for it. And it'll have to be an insurgency. Russia is going to have to simply occupy the country with 500,000 troops. I mean, this is going to be a pure occupation. And then, and I want to spend some time talking about that uh, at a later date, the rebuilding of Ukraine and what that's going to cost. And comparing that to what happened in Japan, what happened in Berlin, what happened in Britain when they had to rebuild. It was decades. 
to I, rebuild. I just got some breaking news. Uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine is going to address U.S. Congress on Wednesday. Huh. It'll be the second or third time he does that. He's done that before. Uh, back we go to what's going on in uh, Ukraine. And a lot of talk, uh, actually from the beginning, has been this no-fly zone over Ukraine. And what is a no-fly zone? A no-fly zone is uh, a declaration uh, backed up by military forces that no nobody flies over this land, this particular piece of property, in this case, Ukraine. And what that does is stop attacking jets. And uh, usually, well, I guess the country can call itself, can declare it's no-fly zone, but it's usually under attack. So it's other people, the United States with Serbia, for example. Uh, it was a no-fly zone that we instituted, and any aircraft flying over Serbia was shot down. Any enemy aircraft just shot down. And that's what's being called for. The problem here is that the aircraft that is overflying Ukraine and launching bombs, dropping bombs, uh, launching missiles, are Russian aircraft. So if the United States or the West... Number one, uh, declare a no-fly zone over Ukraine to stop the bombing, uh, to stop that aspect of uh, the uh, military attack. Well, if there is a violation of that by Russian forces, guess what? Then NATO, assuming it's NATO forces, then NATO is now in a shooting war with Russia. Oh boy, just what we want. We've had a couple of proxy wars in Yemen, for example, uh, where we back up uh, a force and the Russians back up a force. And we've always done that. From the Cold War, it's we backed up governments uh, that were opposed to Russia, and they've done back and forth. But we've never gotten into a shooting war. And that is the fear. And it goes beyond fear because let's say we have a violation of a shooting war a violation of uh, the no-fly zone, uh, and we get into a shooting war with Russia. I'll tell you right now, Russia is going to lose. You know, while Russia has a, a big uh, military force, five times bigger than Ukraine, what Russia does not have is the training and the equipment that NATO has. NATO is 30 countries. NATO is the United States and Germany and France and Britain every one of which has a superior military force to Russia. I mean, it's going to happen very quickly if a fight, if a war happens. So now, what happens if a war happens, right? And, and, and the people of Russia uh, now uh, start going against Putin because we'd love a regime change, wouldn't we? Much like what Putin is doing to Ukraine, regime change. He wants a country that's pro-Kremlin as opposed to pro-West. So what does this guy do when he's going down? When he's losing control of the country, assuming it goes that way. Yeah, that's the question. Does he go down and he pulled away as his thumb is on the button and you want to try to get it away so it actually isn't pressed? I mean, is Putin the kind of guy that would unleash a nuclear weapon? Yeah, probably, based on what he has done, based on his actions. Now, would he unleash... Uh, the big, the big attack, New York, Washington. I mean, no, I don't, I don't think he's prepared to destroy the world to keep power, but who, you know, who the hell knows this guy is. I mean, he's become a rogue off the rails leader. 
and everybody is shaking their heads. And he's made a big, big mistake. So back we go to the no-fly zone, okay? Uh, no one's going to invoke a shooting war. So that's off the table. Biden has made that really clear, even though you have some con- uh, Congress people that are screaming yes. You have some military people that are screaming yes. Uh, but it's simply too dangerous to go to actual conflict, uh, an actual uh, military conflict with Russia. How about a modified no-fly zone? And what is a modified no-fly zone? Certain areas. Evacuation areas, for example. You've got this corridor uh, that's X miles wide and from one city all the way to the border. And it's strictly used for, number one, humanitarian aid coming into the country. Food, water, medicine, tents, temporary housing, because entire blocks, uh, whole sections of city have been decimated. So that's going that way. And going the other way towards the border are the refugees, which now are 2.7 million. And according to the UN, if you count all the displaced people that had to leave their homes and move into other parts of Ukraine, uh, now we're talking, uh, what, 7 million, 5, 7 million people? And it's getting worse by the day. So let's protect those areas with a no-fly zone. Okay, just that limited area. Guess what? What happens if Russia overshoots that no-fly zone? You got to shoot the planes down. And now we're back to square one. Because it looks like Russia has already allowed ceasefires in a few areas for humanitarian aid and for refugees fleeing. And they violated it. They shelled anyway. So who's to say that they're not going to agree to it? Sure, not a problem. And then instantly a violation and what ends up happening with there. Now we're talking about a shooting war again. Also, uh, to stop Russian planes from overflying Ukraine is not that big a deal because they're really not using Russian planes. Uh, the Russian, uh, their air force, their military force is a tiny little blip in this war in Ukraine. It's all ground forces and those have ground to a halt. So what's left? Artillery. Artillery is doing 90% of uh, the destruction. And how does a no-fly zone affect artillery? It doesn't. So the risk is far higher uh, than the benefit. It's a benefit-risk issue. And there seems to be no issue as far as invoking a no-fly zone. Now, where it's going to get interesting is weapons are pouring into Ukraine from Poland And Russia may very well say, okay, that's it. Well, look at the attack on that military base uh, in uh, the West. 15 miles from the Polish border. I mean, that's pretty close. And it was a military base that was used to train NATO forces. And what Russia did is effectively take it out. So... I think they may be very well close to saying, okay, part of this conflict, not only do you not, uh, not only do you not bring in troops, but now we're going to extend to the military uh, supplies. You supply Ukraine through Poland. Now we're going to go after you. That is more problematic because that is not a no-fly zone that's being established by the West United States. That's Russia saying to the Western world, you'll have no weapons brought in. And if you do, look what we're going to do. 
This is very, very dangerous stuff for sure. The race for mayor is heating up big time. One of the things about L.A. mayor, uh, it's an interesting position. First of all, it's a nationally known position. It's one of those couple of cities that everybody in the country knows about. We know who's mayor of New York. People know who's mayor of Los Angeles because Los Angeles is sort of an outlier city where tofu and yoga and just a a lot of left-wing crazy stuff. Uh, And was actually one of the forerunners among politicians to call for the defund movement. As a matter of fact, uh, there actually was a successful defund movement. Well, not... It's not a question of taking away money from the police. It was a taking away money that was uh, scheduled for the increase in the budget. So they cut that by, I think, $700 million. So the race for mayor is now heating up. Uh, And I'll tell you why it's a weird position. L.A. is not a very strong mayoral city. There are some cities in which the mayor really controls the city. L.A. is a city council city. That's who really has the power here. Uh, And that doesn't stop people from running like crazy. Garcetti is out. And so now you have the potential mayors, the candidates. And it runs all the way from moderately liberal or moderate to insanely liberal. And every one of them, everyone is doing something that actually is contrary to what we thought a liberal would do. They're all in favor of hiring more police, and in some cases, a lot more police. You can kiss goodbye the defund police movement. Uh, It's now fund the police, and who is going to beat you? I want more cops. No, no, I want more cops. My dad's bigger than your dad. My schwanz is bigger than yours. No, I want more cops. I mean, we're talking among the most liberal members. U.S. Representative Karen Bass, for example, wants to move hundreds of officers from behind desks out to the force. And that's another argument because there's a lot of cops behind the desk. You can kiss that one goodbye. They want out. Uh, City Attorney Mike Fuhr, super liberal. He wants 500 more cops on the force. Rick Caruso, uh, who's a billionaire developer And City Councilman Joe Buscaino, who's a former cop himself, they both want to hire 1,500 more officers. 1,500. That's no small amount of cops. That's a lot of money. So everybody's in a race for more cops. Now, is it going to happen? No, there's one huge problem with all this, and that's the bottleneck. And it's not so much the fiscal constraints. Uh, and it's certainly not because of uh, the defund police movement. It's an administrative bottleneck. They can't hire those cops. And why is that? Well, because of the city's personnel department. That's the problem. Last week, there were exactly 9,505 sworn officers on the force. That was last week. Today, 9,440, it's a drop of about 75 cops. How does that drop literally in three days? Well, you have retirements. You know, cops putting in for retirements. Cops just quitting. I'm done. I mean, whenever you have a workforce of 10,000 people, I mean, there's attrition. And so you replace them, right? Well, what happens if you have a bottleneck and they don't want replaced? So uh, you ask the chief, uh, Michael Moore, 
and other high-end police folks that they go, it's all about the personnel department. We've got the money. We'll hire people. There's the political move. Just look at the mayoral race. And what does the city's personnel department do? It conducts background checks and moves the candidates through the application process. It's easy to apply. It's very difficult to become a cop. The standards, particularly in L.A., are very high. One of the things about Los Angeles, and you you can argue, I mean, there was a race issue, uh, no question about it. Uh, What the police department does have is an air of professionality. And has been voted best uniforms several times. Uh, I mean, we have good cops. The problem is, and Moore said this, and others said this, plenty of applicants, but it's months to hear back. Now, here's an example. you got a police academy that uh, every couple of months uh, there's a class, right? The last four police academy classes had fewer than 40 recruits in them. Usually it's 50 to 60. This year, actually, it's going to be 30 uh, from an average of 50 to 60, half. Uh As a matter of fact, Moore told uh, the police commission, we're not even going to forget about adding cops. We're not going to meet attrition. We're not going to make up for the number of cops that are even on the force. And we've got to change the way we work. So how is the pandemic connected? Well, the pandemic means money is diverted. And one of the departments where money was diverted, because uh, obviously there's a limited amount of money in any governmental program, no matter how big the budget is, it doesn't matter. You're never going to have enough money to do everything. And the personnel department got hit. And the personnel department conducts a very extensive background check. And we're talking about psychological tests. We're talking about, when we talk about a background check, it's almost like an FBI check. Well, actually, it's close to that where they go back and talk to people you went to school with uh, when you were in the sixth grade. And so what's happening now is crime is up, uh, in some cases a lot. Uh, Homicides and shootings actually were down, but still above what they were in 2020. Robberies up 16%. Robberies with firearms up 38%. I mean, that is a real problem. So uh, what the candidates are saying, all of them are saying that fixing this bureaucratic slowdown meltdown is a huge priority because without the bottleneck being straightened out, uh, you're not going to see the cops. So we're looking at 9,500 cops right now. Buscaino and uh, Rick Caruso want 11,000, 1,500 more cops. That's a whole lot of police officers. And I don't know how many people are against this, except the anti-police people. Interesting comment made by uh, Kevin DeLeon, a councilman who's also a candidate for mayor. And this is where the politics comes in. It's not the job of a prospective mayor to blindly promise thousands of more officers just to grab headlines. So is it uh, headlines? Or do you think these mayoral candidates really want 1,500 uh, 1500 more cops? I'm going to go for the more cops. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The more police, it's real simple. The more police you have out there, the crime goes down. That's it. Those are the only stats we have that can you can point to and go, there it is. All right. Now, uh, an issue that uh, I want to bring up because it's still here. Because we're two years into the pandemic. And hundreds of thousands of Southern Californians still behind on their rent. And they can't be evicted. State and local laws protect them. Uh, L.A. County and City of L.A., what a shocker. Way at the top of the heap. Uh, No evictions for non-payment until uh, beginning next year. And there are some people that haven't paid rent since the beginning of the pandemic. So it'll be three years of non-payment. So you get a judgment against uh, those person. All they have to do is go bankrupt and you're done. Now, there are programs. The state has a $5.2 billion rent relief program. That's great. Problem is you have small landlords haven't seen the money. Actually been cut off from the help. And this is a story in the L.A. Times and interviewed Diane Robertson, co-founder of L.A.'s Coalition of Small Rental Property Owners. And here's what she said. They've applied, but haven't received the rent. And there's money there, but it's not getting to the people who need it. The people who don't need it are getting it. The people who do need it are not getting it. Those that don't need it are massive corporate landlords that have deep pockets and know how to work the system. They have lawyers. They have people that know how it all works. The small property owner, uh, the small landlord described as one who owes four units or left, are mainly people. People, couples, you, me. And why? Well, the big reason is that the tenants have to be involved in the application process to get the rent relief for the landlords. And there are a whole lot of tenants who just don't care because they're not going to see the money. There are a whole lot of tenants who have an adversarial relationship, tenant-landlord, horrible. And uh, so they don't cooperate. There's no money there. And some have too much money to qualify. We're talking about the tenants or uh, the, the landlords. And so you have got you have small uh, landlords that are waiting, and then they're financially wrecked. I mean, they're done because uh, how many how many folks who own small buildings uh, are they don't have a mortgage? Most do, and even if you don't have a mortgage, there's still upkeep. There's insurance and there's maintenance. Well, if you don't even have the money for that, you're screwed because you're getting no rent. And so the small landlords are being saddled with this burden. And uh, she points out, and it, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, that's absolutely right. There's no other industry that has been forced to do what property owners have been forced to do. So imagine this. You don't have money for food. So you get free food for three years. They can't charge you for food. They can't charge you for utilities. You get free utilities. The gas stations can't charge you for gas. 
because you're exempted. There is no other industry that stops your income cold. And that is the problem. There's a story about one small landlord who owns a Studio City duplex and said that the tenants stopped paying rent right when the pandemic began, when the eviction protections were put into place. And think about that. For landlords, and there are tenants who just love to get away with not paying rent. So in some cases, in this case, for example, three years and they can't be evicted. And so let's say the rent is $2,000 a month or a fairly inexpensive, well, $2,000 a month. How far does that go in Los Angeles? Uh, So that's $24,000 a year times three years. Now you're talking $75,000 in back rent. Who has that? $75,000 in cash to write a check to the landlord for back rent. Of course not. So what do they do? They go BK. Especially if they've lost their job and their credit has been destroyed anyway, which has happened to so many people. And so the landlord is stuck. And in many cases, just loses the property. Because the landlord is not exempt from paying property taxes. The landlord is not exempt from maintaining the building. The landlord is not exempt for not paying uh, or for uh, yeah, for not paying insurance. So uh, this one case, incidentally, uh, the uh, landlord got the tenant out after a year and a half. This is another case. And you know how the ten, uh, the landlord got the tenant out? A nuisance. Finally, it was able because nuisances are exempt from uh, the eviction protection. That's it. You know how difficult it is to get someone out for a nuisance? I mean, I know lawyers who do this for a living. As a matter of fact, for two minutes, I did when I first started practicing law. My partner did it. I mean, it's a nightmare, and it's worse now. Now, problems have already existed, but if you're a landlord, you don't want to do this in the county of L.A., particularly the city of L.A. The worst one is uh, Santa Monica. I mean, that is a city that protects tenants like you can't believe if uh, you if you get into a dispute with a tenant, just hand them the keys of the apartment. That's all. 678,000 households in the L.A. area are behind on rent. And big landlords are able to do this, are able to navigate these waters. Large corporate landlords. But the mom and poppers, no. Not only is an issue of protection, uh, they don't even go forward with evictions because of the hassles. Because of how difficult it is. Because of the cost. Because guess what? They're not exempt from paying attorney's fees, are they? Uh, Like the tenants are exempt from paying the rent. By the way, I'm not arguing that that, uh, the rent should not be, you don't have eviction protection. I understand, especially during the pandemic. But that's what God invented governments for, is a safety net. And this is a safety net for small landlords who have saved to buy a small piece of property, who in many cases live on that property, that's their income. So in L.A. County, there's a program offering small landlords who are facing foreclosure almost $30,000 in mortgage relief. But that's off limits in the city of Los Angeles and only available to certain portions of the county. I mean, it is tough. I mean, it is tough. So who got nailed the worst during the eviction process or during the pandemic? Small landlords. I mean, they got hit. 
Big, big, ba- uh, just crazy. Let's get local. Actually, let's get national, regional, and local. And that has to do with gas prices that is affecting all of us. And here in California, I mean, we're getting nailed. California is a great place to live. If you like insane amount of traffic, if you like very high housing prices, almost beyond comprehension, if you like taxes that are on a level that no other state has. But we have the weather. Uh, and uh, we have uh, the great infrastructure for business. So uh, you tell me, you know, and uh, a lot of people saying yes, a lot of people saying no. So let's get to gas prices. Gas prices are exploding across the U.S., but, of course, in California, they're exploding uh, the most, higher than any other state. You know, we are not as crazy as the taxes are in this state, like 51 cents, per gallon, they're not as high as Pennsylvania. And I'm sure that the legislators are really angry at that because we're number one. California is number one in the economy in the United States, number one in taxes, number one in housing. Well, yeah, I guess so as a state, number one in housing, except we're number two in gas taxes. What are we doing? We can't be number two. So let's talk to a legislator or two. So uh, last week, the average price of gas in California, $5.69, far higher in uh, Southern California. Uh, a month ago, it was four sixty-eight. I mean, look at that price. The national average was four thirty-two. We are paying about $1.40 more per gallon than other states. Boy, does that nail you. So what's going on? Well, you've got the invasion of Ukraine and the sanctions, because remember, oil is not being sold from Russia anymore. Uh, That's spike prices. People are now driving. I was on the freeway the other day. Price is now, gas is now $6 a gallon in most places or $6.20, $6.30. So I figured at least people would be off the road. I have never seen traffic like that. It was bumper to bumper on the freeway, and I said, are you guys getting gas for $2 a gallon? What the hell is going on here? Well, people are tired, and uh, the pandemic fatigue uh, is has set in, and that part of it is just getting the hell out of the house. So uh, you have, oh, and on top of that, uh, what happened? Well, uh, 2017, guess what? Uh, an additional 12 cents gas to pay for roads and bridges and transit and a lot more. So, oh, and we have another three cent increase uh, come July. So it doesn't stop, does it? So we're going to be at 54 cents a gallon in uh, taxes. Both Democrats and Republican lawmakers now want to help. They both said, both sides of the aisle said that's enough. Usually Republicans are always against Democrats. And I've said this over and over again. You take any Democrat in the state legislature and uh, when they die on their tombstone is going to be engraved. I never met a tax I didn't like. Well, we finally got one. And so here's something you probably didn't know. All these insane taxes are not actually paid by you. Technically, they're paid by, well, uh, they're actually paid by the suppliers of gas. The 51 cents a gallon is paid by the suppliers, not at the pump. Sales tax is at the pump, but not that 51 cents. 
So if you cut it off, it's the suppliers that aren't paying the gas tax. That's one of the possibilities, and I'll talk about that in a second. One of the avenues of helping is, some, okay, let's withhold, let's put uh, a moratorium on taxes. Suppliers don't have to pay. Does that mean they can't pass, they have to pass on the savings to us, the consumer? Absolutely not. Nothing stops them from passing, from not passing on the savings. They don't break any laws. They don't break any policy. Well, their policy, of course, would be not particularly to do it. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get uh, a lot of help. We probably will get, I'm willing to guess, even the most intransigent suppliers not going to keep 51 cents. It would go crazy. But maybe keep 10 cents or 20 cents out of the savings. So uh, Newsom uh, made a proposal, and that's to pause the increase of the 3% July for a year. Three cents a gallon. That's not going to go up in July. Boy, is that going to give us a lot of help. Frankly, no driver is going to notice that, but people who manage the infrastructure of the state, they're going to notice that because that uh, 3%, $0.03, cents, which is not going to come in, is $523 million in lost revenue. Uh, that's a fair number of projects that are out there. Actually, if you look at the cost of uh, highway projects, uh, $523 million, uh, it's about 200 yards of freeway. Uh, and that's going to affect, incidentally, uh, a couple of years of state highway projects. Uh, so you cut some now, you're going to be affecting it for two more years. Now, Republicans have said, let's wipe away the whole 51 cent tax for the short term. Well, uh, if it goes through uh, a fiscal year, uh, actually just six months of it would cost the state between four to $4.5 billion in lost revenue. Now we're talking some serious money. So which way is the state going to go? First of all, we have a, a $21 billion uh, surplus this year. And we've had surpluses for the past several years. So the state has plenty of money in the bank. Can the state afford to not get taxes or even refund taxes or even write us a stimulus check? Yeah, it can. The problem is, who's going to do it? Who's going to agree to it? Now, during his State of the State address uh, last Tuesday, uh, Newsom unveiled a couple of prices, a couple of ideas about reducing taxes or helping out Californians with no specificity whatsoever. And it's one of those things is they've got to do something. They are going to do something. Which way is it going to go? Because there's no politician that is going to be looking at reelection that can be accused of doing nothing. So something's got to give. We'll just see which way something has to give. Let's talk about you driving, you walking along the streets of Southern California, more so in L.A. than in Orange County, for example, or the Inland Empire. Uh, I, I think L.A. is uh, ground zero for what? For the homeless. Well, first of all, Southern California is ground zero for the homeless. Uh, it is tough to be homeless in upstate New York in the middle of winter, for example, or Burlington, Vermont. It gets a little cool as in 30 degrees below zero. And here, when it's cold 
it hits what 40 degrees, 45 degrees. Uh, that's headline news. That's the end of the world headlines, you know, World War Three kind of headlines. 40 degrees tonight. So uh, great place to be homeless. And keep in mind that we also have a very liberal city here on our hands. So what do you see out there? Uh, the shelters right along the roadways, uh, especially under the overpass or over the underpass. Uh, you've got tent cities that line sidewalks, got broken down cars. Uh, the other day I was on the freeway and uh, I was getting someplace and I was uh, I happened to turn on ways and it was a traffic on the freeway. So they turned me off uh, in an area that's a little sketchy. Man, there was one street that was nothing but broken down RVs that had tarps over them. I mean, it was uh, RV having to look like an RV uh, sales lot, except not quite. Cheap, though, I'll tell you that, if you wanted to buy one. I mean, it is crazy out there. Sleeping bags and storefront doorways. So uh, one of the most liberal cities and that off. I'm hearing something on my headset. All right. Thank you. One of the most liberal cities in uh, the United States, Oregon or Portland, Oregon. How about that one? Well, the mayor, Ted Wheeler, has said, OK, we're done. People in this city aren't stupid. They can open their eyes. And uh, what he has done is used his emergency powers to ban camping along roadways. And says exactly what Gavin Newsom said when he became governor and he was running. Homelessness is the most important issue facing our community, bar none. And what's going on increasingly in liberal cities across the country, particularly here in Los Angeles, uh, people living in tents and public spaces have long been tolerated, actually almost encouraged. Uh, Well, guess what? City leaders... From uh, running on and advocating uh, open arms, we love everybody, kumbaya, we love our homeless, Uh, they're going no more, we're done. Out goes the uh, encampments because the rest of us who, God forbid, actually pay our taxes. By the way, that's not to say that the mentally ill who are on the street don't deserve help. Uh, I'm a fan of the safety net, but man, do you think it's reached a level where it's uh, simply untenable? Yeah, it has. And what's going on, instead of pushing for laws and court cases in which uh, the advocation or advocating uh, the plight of the homeless and allowing them on the streets, going the other way completely. Washington, D.C., pilot program to permanently clear several homeless camps. Uh, Here in California, 160,000 homeless people. So L.A. City Council in October, liberal city council to say the least, uh, issued, uh, used new laws to ban camping in 54 location. And one of the uh, mayoral candidates, Joe Buscaino, has introduced plans for a ballot measure that's coming up in November, would prohibit people from sleeping outdoors in public places outright uh, if they have turned down the offers of shelter. And... Uh, There is, and it makes a lot of sense, uh, a case uh, in Boise. It was a Supreme Court case, which uh, sort of set the standard uh, for uh, all of this. And it said that you can't throw people off the streets unless there is shelter. 
Well, so everybody ramps up to build shelter. Incident we have not described or here in Los Angeles, federal judge Carter, who's sort of uh, the leader of the helping the homeless get shelter uh, movement. Uh, we haven't defined what shelter is. Is it simply a cot uh, in a large room, like a gymnasium uh, with a shower, a communal shower and bathroom? Is it uh, medium-term housing? Is it permanent housing? Keeping in mind that permanent housing is about half a million dollars per unit. Let me see. Permanent housing time half a million dollars times 160000 Well, there are some couples and some families, so let's knock it down to $100,000, let us say. It'll probably be more than that. You figure out $500,000 times 100000 and to figure out if uh, that uh, isn't a complete uh, budget breaker. And so people who work with the homeless folks say to mayors uh, all of this, here is, the, here is the answer. Forget about temporary housing. That should be secondary. Let's go for permanent housing. That's the answer. I'll tell you what they are not. They are not mathematicians. 100,000 times 500,000. Let's do the math. Matter of fact, I didn't do the math. I should do the math. Uh, That's a good idea. Uh, Jennifer, would you do the math? 500,000 times 100,000. I'm just curious. Well, there's the answer. A million? Huh? Billion zillion? I don't know. I have no idea. That sounds good. A billion (laughs) zillion. You know, that's probably, you're probably not far off. But I I think the point of this, and it's going on right now, and we've got the mayoral, the the race for mayor here in Los Angeles, and the mayoral uh, mayoral candidates are all arguing not only the police uh, and dealing with the bottleneck, which we talked about earlier, but also the issue of homelessness. Uh, And homelessness is actually the biggest issue because most of us don't encounter problems with the police. You know, we don't get robbed. I mean, some do, but very small numbers. Uh, We don't get held up. I mean, we're usually not victims of crime, even though it's big news. But I'll tell you, every one of us is a victim of homelessness. And I'm talking about the blight of homelessness. Driving home, driving to work. Seeing the encampments. And those tent cities are getting larger. And uh, I noticed that uh, those, well, here's uh, location, location, location. That's always been the rule. So the tents in the middle of an overpass are worth far more than at the edges where sometimes you can get some rain. See, that's higher property values just in the middle there. If I was a real estate agent, I would sell middle ground. It's just worth more, isn't it? We start again at 5 a.m. tomorrow with Wake Up Call, and I'm here from 6 to right now. This is KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.